Coming up on a very special episode of Dispatch, we talk a little Star Wars. Can the markets handle a rate rise? The top five search trends will leave you gassed. And investment philosophies from Leo Tolstoy. This is the Dividend Dispatch. Greetings and salutations. Happy to have you along for yet another installment of Dispatch, the ultimate show for dividend investors brought to you by Dividend.com. And this is it. The last show before yet another, maybe, maybe not, rate rise announcement from the Fed. Will we? Won't we? The Fed loves me. The Fed loves me not. Yes, no, maybe so. Red light, green light, red rover. I'm not sure anymore what game we're playing, but... It's going to be a fun show. Aside from borrowing a little bit of music from the wonderfully talented Father John Misty, who you've just heard joining us in mere moments, will be Abhishek Gupte, subject matter expert from Dividend.com, laying it all down for us as to what we can expect as dividend investors on the eve of a rate rise, potentially. Here's what else we've got coming for you on the show, the Dividend Market Minute, a recap of the week that was and the big week that's coming at you. Then it's Dividend Search Trends, a window into the minds of dividend investors winding the show up. It'll be the fan favorite, our oblique moment, a segment of the show in which we look back at some of the biggest financial blunders that would certainly make anybody in that time say oblique. And I like to say bleep because then you can sort of put your own favorite swear word over top or maybe just keep it as bleep. This is Jeff Falks from Dividend.com, your friend and host, easing you into the second full week of December. Let's get to it. Time now for the Dividend Market Minute. Well, the labor market continued to improve at a solid rate. Payrolls rose by 211,000 in November. The unemployment rate held at 5% amid an increase in participation. The ISM non-manufacturing index moderated to 55.9 in November, but shows that activity in the service and construction sectors continue to expand at a decent rate. And that does tie in with the weekly reminder because we are getting all of November's numbers trickling in now. This week, the European Central Bank lowered its deposit rate even further into negative territory and extended the duration of its quantitative easing program. Now, it's key here to point out that they did not alter the amounts that they will pay. While the ECB moves to a more supportive policy and the Federal Reserve is expected to raise rates, we also learned this week that the central banks of both Canada and Australia have opted to hold rates as they currently are. Also, for the first time in history, the Canadian Central Bank said it would consider negative interest rates, so we are sort of treading into some interesting territories. We as investors may actually get a lump of coal in our stockings this December. At least that's sort of how it feels, doesn't it? It's shaping up to be a real dismal December. This past week, stock markets continued their downward trend as a multitude of factors pushed indexes down. One of the chief concerns this week was energy stocks, as I'm sure you've heard. Lower oil prices and continued production from OPEC means bad news for pricing. We also saw some big news in the way of dividend cuts at Kinder Morgan, upwards of 75%, and Freeport McMorrin. That pushed major indexes down for the week, and not helping is the threat of the pending rate rise from the Federal Reserve later this week. We still don't know. The rate rise is roughly five years in the making. Despite that, traders and investors remain on edge 
about what the Fed will or won't do. Add this to the lack of positive earnings guidance coming from those few firms that did report this week, and it made for a very messy trading environment. Here's a tee-up of what we can expect next week as much as we can possibly say we know what's going to happen. We have no clue what the Fed is going to do. A lot of people are speculating that it is all but a yes that rates will rise. I had an off-the-books conversation with an analyst at a local investment firm. They handle upwards of about $10 billion. They're all very, very bullish on the future. They're all very sure there will be a rate rise. I'm still not going to believe it until I see it. Although monthly data reports will continue to roll in over this week and a half coming at us, the last of the major indicators to be released ahead of the Fed's much-anticipated December meeting are now in. Chief among them are, as I've just mentioned, the November numbers, especially the employment report. And while Fed Chair Janet Yellen said in her testimony to Congress and was careful to stress that the FOMC will not be putting much weight on any other particular number... The report more than cleared the bar in showing that the labor market continues to improve. As dividend investors, you may just want to hibernate and ignore your portfolios for the rest of the week. But let's take a peek at the week ahead. Regardless, after last week's energy stocks lost, this week coming is going to be hard to judge. All eyes, as mentioned, are on the Fed come Wednesday the 16th. Circle it in your calendar. It is D-Day. If it holds true and the Fed increases, either investors will run for the hills as they sell risk, or it'll be a non-event since it's been predicted for the last few months. It's been teased. It's been yes, no, maybe so. We'll discuss this more in greater detail when Abhishek Guptai joins the show. And as if the D-Day rate rise wasn't enough, we'll still see some pretty important inflation, manufacturing, and consumer data numbers released this week as well. On the earnings front, several key economic bellwethers will also report. Check in on Dividend.com to see which ones reported and what their numbers look like. Guidance, as always, will be key. All in all, it could shape up to be a wild ride awaiting the Fed, being that the Fed seems to have telegraphed its decision. Perhaps we could be in for some bigger surprises if we don't actually see the rate rise. Here are the 15 most notable stocks going ex-dividend next week. So while we're all sort of sitting on tenterhooks and pins and needles, we can at least be assured that, you know, there's 15 opportunities to buy in, hold long-term, and capitalize on the early dividend payout. These would be Gilead Sciences, T. Rowe Price, Fidelity National Information Services, Total System Services, Fidelity National Financial, Hess Corp, Chubb Corp, Omnicom Group, Avago Technologies Limited, DTE Energy, Royal Caribbean Cruises, Denahar Corp, Las Vegas Sands, Pacar Inc., and Cincinnati Financial. Let's take a moment now to welcome in Abhishek Guptai, subject matter expert from Dividend.com. Thanks for having me, Jeff. I love it. Uh, let's get started. Some crazy things in the market. Uh, there's been some positive data lately and some negative data lately, yet speculation is still that the Fed will raise rates regardless of the negative data. My question to you is, can the markets handle this right now? Well, I believe the markets have already factored in the rate rise. If they don't raise interest rates now, it could lead to what happened back. And I mean, it was Federal Reserve Chief, you know. He said, he coined the famous term, irrational exuberance. So if we don't raise rates, we'll see something similar to the 
dot-com bust of the Greenspan era is what you're saying. Yeah, uh, money shouldn't be as cheap as it is right now. Right, and so when I'm looking at the markets right now, things are down uh, grotesquely. This is all because it's likely, likely due to the fact that we're all factoring in the price of rate rise. Yeah, so generally speaking, there's been, a, there's been more positive data than negative data coming out of the U.S. and more negative than positive coming out from China and Europe. So if you historically look at the data, the average interest rate tightening cycle has lasted for 22 months, the longest being from 1963 to 1969, while the shortest was in 1980, which lasted for just four months. So on an average, it has taken 41 months for a recession to start after the first interest rate hike. So I definitely believe that the markets would be able to handle a rate rise. So what should we expect markets to do if the Fed does give the green light and rates do in fact rise? Well, you, the first thing is you should expect a shock. So all interest rate sensitive sectors will fall in the short run. Also, keep in mind why they're raising interest rates. It's basically because the economy is doing fine. They, in this year, it's, they have faked a rise in interest rates a lot of times. So raising interest rates at the right time avoids bubbles building up in the economy. You never want the central bank to be a friend of speculators. You want them to be a friend of investors. And I think this is a step in the right direction. So all previous rate rises or teases thereof were sort of the fake it till you make it thing. Like false confidence, false confidence, step backwards, false confidence, step backwards. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, they were <laughs> the we, everyone was believing, that, oh, they're going to raise interest rates this time. But they never did. People actually started ignoring the Fed. <laughs> so fair enough. Does a Fed green light then spark another bearish rally? Well, it should in the short run. Uh, markets have already fallen down before uh, the actual announcement of the rate hike. So they've already factored that in. But once there is an actual hike, there should be a fall in the short run. Uh, so you could hedge your portfolio, strong dividend paying banks and REITs. So the rates, uh, the rents that they pay are tied to measures of inflation, which means payouts continue to rise as interest rates do. So you're saying a stronger fall than what we've already seen, though? Not necessarily a stronger fall, but the bearish rally would continue in the short run. I cannot uh, say with certainty that it would be a stronger bearish rally because the markets have already fallen down a lot in anticipation of the hike. So is it wrong to assume then we see a bit of bullishness? In the long run, you would, but not in the short run. Okay. So conversely, if the feds hold off on the rate rise, is that a testament to the fact that the economy is still kind of playing the role of the sick patient? We still don't know where it's going to go. It would again be the case of uh, faking a rate rise. They've done that in the past. Again, people would start ignoring the Fed. They've they built up ex the expectations. Markets have already factored that in. And if they don't raise rates, expect a strong bullish rally. Okay, so we'll, we're all just going to keep faking it till we make it, I guess. Uh, one last question before you go. I know you've got a lot of things to do today and a lot on your plate. So what are your sentiments on the, mar the market right now from a macro sense? So the odds are generally in favor of a rate rise from a macro sense. From a dividend-paying investor's point of view, high interest rates would mean a stronger dollar. So four of our best dividend stocks, Pfizer, Kraft, Chevron, and Procter & Gamble are feeling the pain of a stronger dollar. A stronger dollar also makes it more difficult for emerging market nations that borrowed money denominated in dollars to pay back those increasingly expensive debts. Now, one way you can protect your portfolio is through REITs. 
this may sound surprising to a lot of people, but looking at the last period of rising interest rates, we can see the outperformance even better. So between June of 2003 and June of 2006, which was the last interest rate tightening cycle, interest rates rose from 1% to 5.25%. During that time, the Dow Jones Select REIT index managed to return 27.68% annually and provided a total return of 408%. What we'll see is a shock on interest rate sensitive assets post the interest rate hike. Abhishek. I can't thank you enough for joining today on the show. I look forward to talking to you after the rate rise, hypothetically. Dividend Search Trends. It's time now for Dividend Search Trends. For those of you who don't know, Dividend Search Trends is your anonymous look into the queries of Dividend.com from last week. This offers a bit of insight into what fellow investors are looking at, thinking about, and trending towards. Here are the top five search trends from last week. At number five, it's General Motors. This could be a few things. Uh, as we noted last week on the show, all automotive manufacturers, the whole sector had a great November. Uh, GM had surprisingly good numbers. So perhaps there's some speculation there. Sales in China are also going well. But on the bad side, General Motors just agreed to pay out $594.5 million to settle just under 400 claims regarding faulty ignition switches. So that could also be what's driving your search queries as well. The rest of the story is oil, and we all know why the oil sector, oil markets have been taking the elevator down lately. At number four, it's oil and gas refining and marketing. Number three, oil and gas pipelines. At number two, it's Kinder Morgan. As we know, they operate a very large network of natural gas and petroleum pipelines, and they've also just cut their dividend by 75%. So that's probably what's driving that search trend. And at number one, it's MLPs. Oh, moment. It's time now for that magical part of the show in which we look back at some of the biggest financial blunders in history, those kinds of moments that would make anybody living in that moment say, oh, bleep. And yeah, I like to cover up the swear word, my own bleep noise. And I don't have time to sit and fudge and fidget over perfect edits. I don't want to make anybody offended, so it's easier for me just to say bleep. Because the new Star Wars film launches officially on December 18th, we're going to take a look at the huge financial blunders made by some of those within the Star Wars community. First, it's 20th Century Fox back in 1977, and if I wasn't afraid of being sued, I would definitely be queuing up some sweet songs from the Star Wars soundtrack, most notably the cantina scene. That was the best weird jazz ever. This is a funny one, as unlike most other financial blunders that we discuss on the show, this one has a few winners and a few losers. So, you know, there's two ways to this story, which makes it fun and interesting. Let's dive in. In 1977, the senior execs at 20th Century Fox made a, well, we'll call it a short-sighted decision, thinking they were getting a great deal. Go figure, the suits thought they were going to screw somebody over to save money, and in fact, it worked in the opposite direction. In essence, they signed over all product merchandising rights for any and all Star Wars films to George Lucas himself. There was some speculation that he wasn't going to be able to pull off more movies. They, there was some speculation that perhaps the, the franchise wasn't going to be as big as they thought. In exchange for a mere $20,000 cut in Lucas's studio paycheck, they signed over all the merchandising rights. The suits thought they'd won the day by saving $20,000, but alas, the movies were a hit beyond belief, 
And the combined revenue from merchandising is estimated to have exceeded over $3 billion. Plus, of course, you got to factor in some of that money would have accrued interest and compound interest over the years. So it could be even bigger than $3 billion. Uh, that's a lot of dough to throw away. But they, hey, they saved 20000 bucks and tried to screw over a young director at the time. So, yeah, you know, karma will get you back. James Earl Jones, the legendary voice of Darth Vader, uh, he ran into a similar issue. He wanted to be paid up front rather than receive points on the movie. Uh, I guess when you're a broke actor, cash in hand obviously is much more important than futures, especially if you have no idea what's going to happen with the movie, so you can't really make, make fun of him for it. At the time, he was paid 7000 bucks, and when you factor in for inflation, that was about $27,000 in today's money, which, you know, if you're broke, as I said, that's not a bad chunk of change to walk out of the studio with for throwing down a few lines. Take the cash. In hindsight, this cost him tens of millions of dollars, but hindsight, you know, is always twenty twenty. Besides, Jamesy Boy still has a net worth of $45 million now from doing other movies and, of course, other Star Wars that came after. So it worked out okay for him in the end. Conversely, the actor who played Obi-Wan Kenobi, Alec Guinness, thought that, you know, he thought the Star Wars films were quote-unquote fairy tale rubbish. Despite thinking they were fairy tale rubbish, he still negotiated a deal to earn 2% of gross from all box office receipts. Not a bad plan. This earned him a smooth $95 million for the shows that he ended up in. So that's your Star Wars update. Don't know if you're going to see it. Don't know if you're going to care, but certainly something that you've heard about. So now you can add that into the Rolodex of knowledge that you have. We're drawing to the end of the show which means it's time for investment philosophies, parting words to aid you in life and your dividend investing journey. I try to make these philosophies something you can learn from, both as investors, perhaps as a parent, something you can tell your spouse or your friends whenever the, the moment is suitable, perhaps over wine at dinner. I spend a lot of time leafing through things, writing things down that I think are interesting, that I think I can apply to the show, and was recently leafing through War and Peace and Mr. Tolsoy had written something that applied directly to us as dividend investors and as people as well, because it's easy to get impatient and to always think, I want results and rewards now, in which Mr. T wrote, the strongest of all warriors are these two, time and patience. And that applies to a lot of things. So one day your portfolio looks sweet and succulent and the next it's not so great, probably because the Fed is flirting with a rate rise and then takes it off the table. Who knows what it might be, but stay the course regardless of what the Fed does. And keep in mind that 71% of all market returns are from dividends. So that's it for me. If you could, please share this show with your network out there, whether it's Twitter, Facebook, or LinkedIn. Say hello to me. I'm open anytime. Drop a line wherever you feel it's appropriate for you to drop a line. And until next time, remember, proper planning prevents poor performance. Good luck with the Fed rate rise. And I can't wait to talk to you in the aftermath next week. 